Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear friends, thanks for returning here to join Pastor Frank and me on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. My name is John Russ, and I serve as a host and my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman, who is the real core for the teaching ministry of Our Resolute Hope is here. And uh, how are you doing today, Frank? What's the weather like in South Louisiana? We are praising God for central air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, you know, we have the same praise here in Southern Arizona too. <laughs> well, friends, if you've joined us for the first time, you've caught us at the very end of uh, Frank's and my conversation about the little book of Philemon. And it's, it's a book that really is the practical study of how to restore relationships. We spent 16 weeks, the series immediately before this series, talking about the one another's, those impossible imperatives, those commands that we receive as new covenant believers because they all relate to relationships. So we looked at Philemon as the lab. How does that really work out? And over the past four or five weeks, we've looked at how Paul has approached the dynamic of the conflict between the runaway slave, Onesimus, Philemon, the slave owner, and all the folks who are in his house. And we've covered about four or five different specific approaches that Paul used. And Frank, as we wrap up this last session, I want to spend just a moment and summarize those, both to corral our thoughts and to help our listeners keep focused. The first thing Paul did was that he kept the circle of conflict small. Mm. He didn't blab all the issues to everybody. He kept the circle small so that restoration was easier. The next one was that as he spoke with Philemon, he prioritized the relationship with Philemon so that even though there was an issue on which they might disagree, the relationship between Paul and Philemon was still secure. Next, he didn't command, because he could have, he was an apostle. He didn't command Philemon regarding how to handle Onesimus. He appealed to him. Basically, he says, hey, let's take a look at this. There's a different way. Let's look at it a different way and see what God might be able to do. And not only did he protect Philemon, but he protected Onesimus, too. He mm. put all of Onesimus's past actions behind him. I know Paul is familiar with 2 Corinthians 5 because he wrote it. But basically, he says Onesimus is a brand new creature now. So I choose not to see him according to what he was in the past. I choose to see him now what he is in Christ. And Frank, our last point that we spent the last episode talking about was, are we willing for God to restore our relationship or to do something more and make it even better? So friends, that's where we left off last time. And Frank, I want to begin today by asking you a question. And it comes with 
this idea of willingness. What does it take for us to be willing to step into uh, a shipwreck of a relationship? Uh, what kind of heart attitude, what kind of mind attitude, what really needs to go on to make us willing? That's a magic word there because our natural leaning is to just cut and run. So not everybody is willing to enter into a damaged relationship. Uh, what's key in your mind? <laughs> you know, John, we could spend a lot of time talking about all the various aspects of what is required, but there is one really that stands tall above all of them. And it involves a word that is not a popular word in a lot of grace people's minds, but it is the word surrender or Maybe the better word, since people don't like that word, is yielding. Some people have voiced the idea that surrender implies that God and us are at odds with each other. He's at war with us. We're at war with him. We've got to raise the white flag of surrender. The idea that he's an omnipotent despot. I can see where people can get that thought, especially with the faulty God that is portrayed in a lot of churches. However, in doing so, we've got to be careful that we don't distort who God is and who we are to him in him. I know we like to claim identities of child of God, saints of God, but we also have to remember and never forget that he is creator and we are created. He is king. We are still subjects. I like to point out to people sometimes, John, that I think there's 58 references that were saints in the New Testament, but there's over 240 that were bond slaves. Jesus is not called Jesus after the resurrection in the rest of the New Testament, other than in a narrative. He's always referred to as Lord Jesus or Lord Jesus Christ. He is called Abba twice in the New Testament, but he is called Lord hundreds of times. And so with that thought, John, I know I'm taking a long time to say it, but Jesus our Lord did it himself. He said, not my will, but thine be done. And the number one requirement in this is, Lord Jesus, not my will, but thine be done. It's not what I want to see, what I want to do, how I'm going to be made right. It's, Father, what is your will in this? And I will place myself, if you don't like the word surrender or yield, I will make a choice to place myself under your kingship and your right to rule and call me to do what I need to do to restore. That's the ultimate one, John. <laughs> Indeed it is. Listening to your talk, I think of our Savior who basically, he gave up every right he had as God, even the ability to act autonomously as God. He gave it all up. So as we've been talking about Philemon and the things that Philemon might have felt he was owed, 
you know, Jesus could have had that same attitude because here he created these people and they're putting him on the cross. And so Jesus gave up the right, every right, to act independently and received what his father gave him. And this is the attitude that he wants to live out in us in the midst of all of our conflicts and our damaged relationships. In fact, my mind goes to the writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Mm. Uh, it doesn't mean that he was disobedient and father had to slap him back into line, but that obedience means basically choosing to align his will with his father's. Mm. That's what obedience truly is. It's yes, sir. I align my will as a choice of my will. I align it with yours. And so if you have allowed this wrong into my life, if you have allowed this wounding, this, this pain, uh, I'm willing to enter into that. And I'm willing for you to do what you will, not only to heal me and to heal the relationship, but make us more than we ever were before. Just like Jesus, he now has a name above every name. He's got more glory and honor than he did before because he chose to say, not my will, but yours. Wow. Yeah, John, I think a lot of people, in fact, I've had people write to me about this, that they don't like the word obedience because it was so used by churches and pastors to beat people into submission. But the word obedience is actually a tremendous act of worship. Greek word literally is to listen under. So it's that I've had revelation. I've seen how much God loves me, cares for me, all that he does for me. I see who he is. I see who I am in him. And I'm learning to listen under his voice and follow that voice. So it's the ultimate act of worship. And as Jesus himself said, it's the ultimate expression of love. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you love me, you'll listen to my voice. I know what's best. <laughs> you know that old TV show, John, Father Knows Best. What great right. theology. Yeah, In, Indeed it is. Well, Frank, we're beginning to unpack uh, where I wanted to get to today. That is, what is the core of our being willing? You know, what makes us willing? And it, you hit the nail on the head. The attitude of not my will, but yours. I want to worship you, Father, and I want to worship you by allowing you to make my path through this nightmare of a relationship, uh, through this thing I don't really want to walk through, because uh, you made me another promise, Father. You said that I make all things new, and I mm. love that word new, Frank, because it, it doesn't mean new car, new clothes, new house, another of the same, just a, a, a better model. It means new in quality. And I love the other word that we talked about, unprecedented. So God's into unprecedented. And if I will allow it, he'll step into this damaged relationship or the suffering that I'm feeling. And he can bring about something unprecedented. But I tell you, man, it takes courage to be willing to say, okay, sir, gulp. Not my will, but yours, doesn't it? Oh, goodness, John. Yeah, courage, you know, because we're stepping in to 
conflict and conflict hurts and conflict is scary. I don't know how somebody's going to react. Philemon could have turned his nose up at Paul and said, this relationship's over. Onesimus could have come home and, and seen the sword come across his neck. It's, uh, it's scary to enter into conflict. I, I just had this verse, you remember in Proverbs where he says, you know, when you step into the conflict of people, it's like grabbing a junkyard dog by the ears, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that verse is kind of saying, be careful when you do that. So yeah, courage, because there's so much fear, because the fear is of the unknown. We don't know what's going to happen and the investment that we're making is going to pay dividends or that I'm going to get ripped up in the process. So yeah, and perfect love is what'll cast out that fear. So maybe courage and and love are synonyms, actually, John. You know, they, know, they might actually be. And as I'm sitting here listening to you talk and thinking about what courage looks like, I think Hollywood and uh, and television shows have really painted a, a horribly inaccurate picture of courage. Mm. Uh, as I, as I looked into that word. I love the word courage, Frank. I'll tell you right now. I love it. I wish it were used more in scripture than it is. I think it's a great word to use when we're talking about trusting God. Here's what it means. It be, courage means strength and determination in the face of pain or grief or fear. And it's got a great root. You know, I was raised a Catholic, mm. so are you, but I don't remember much Latin at all except for mm. all the silly things we used to say as kids, but it's based on the Latin word core, which means heart. Mm. And so courage, Frank, is a determination, a drive from the heart, a gut motivation to do something you believe is right, even if your logic is telling you otherwise, even if the odds seem against you, or your emotions are screaming, no, uh, that's what, you know, when I look at that, I look at this relationship between Onesimus and Philemon, or any other tragic, broken relationship that you and I have experienced over the years in our lives, and boy, this captures it. It surely does. No, I don't want to go there. But boy, what a great description of the word courage. So as a counselor, Frank, how often do you see courage playing a role in people wrestling with their issues, forgiveness, and, and getting back in line with, the, with Christ's life for them? Oh, I think it requires great courage, John, because it involves seeing the situation for what it really is, and that can hurt, and that can instill fear. And taking a good look at yourself without those rose-colored glasses, and that can cause fear. But we're not alone in that process. Once we take those glasses off uh, and we see the true nature of the situation and of ourselves, it will create a need for us to find a strength in someone greater than ourselves, to find a wisdom greater than ourselves. So that conflict, that person, that circumstance, whatever it is, is actually the instrument of the Holy Spirit to drive us to himself. Because in and of ourselves, we don't have the resources. Only he does. So it's a, it's a tool. Indeed it is. And I look at it, Frank, in a way that says, when I step out in courage, you know, we can call it stepping out in faith or, you know, they're kind of 
the same word as we're using them here today. But when we say yes, sir, to God, despite what everything else is telling us, it takes a lot of courage to do that because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how things are going to wind up. Things don't always turn out where people live happily ever after. And the beautiful princess marries the handsome prince and they rule their kingdom in joy and have lots of children. But when that is what your father has in front of you, uh, that's the time when he calls you, muster up your courage and trust me, because this is the next step. So, so friends, if you're facing a damaged relationship where you're standing amidst the wreckage, Father might well be calling you right now to muster up your courage, act in faith, and go through the hard work of, of accepting and forgiving and being willing to restore that Frank and I have talked about for the past number of months. It could be the hardest thing you could ever do, but it could well be the most freeing thing you could ever do. I know you're going to feel like you're all alone, like none of this makes sense, like you're, you're gritting your teeth, you're hanging on by the very fingertips in faith. But just like Jesus, sweating great drops of blood, he said, not my will, but yours. In other words, yes, sir, let's saddle up and do this. I, I, I love that picture of courage and faith. Yeah, what is it that they attributed, I think, to one of the movies you talked about Hollywood, of John Wayne, is that courage was not the, something like this, courage is not not feeling fear. Courage is feeling fear and riding off to the battle anyway. You know, something like that. Jesus in the garden, he had all those feelings of anxiety and let's face it, fear. He was fully human. And he said, the cross doesn't sound good to me at all. Is there any other way? And yet the father revealed his will and the son yielded, stepped under that will and said, not my will, but thine be done. And it doesn't say it, John, but I don't think his feelings changed. Uh, I think he continued, even though his feelings were still, this doesn't feel good at all, because that's exactly what happens to us. We don't have our feelings go away when we make the choice to trust God. Sometimes we have to say to ourselves, I know how I feel and it doesn't feel good, but what's the truth? Cause that's what I'm going to choose. That's right. You know, listen to you talk, Frank, my brain runs to the words of Jesus in John 16. And he says, I've, I've told you these things that you'll have peace in the world. Mm. You're going to have tribulation count on it. Not you might, you will, but take courage. I have overcome the world. So when, when I think of this, do you remember the Indiana Jones movie, Frank, the, the third one where Indiana Jones is trying to find the Holy Grail and he comes to that last cave that ends on this huge crevice and he has to step out and he doesn't know, you know, it, the, the instructions just say to step out. Well, that's somehow, sometimes how it feels when you're stepping out and you don't see how God's ever going to step in and support you. But he says, take courage. I've already beaten this world. There's nothing that can happen to you that is a surprise to me. 
that I can overcome. And when you step out boldly, you will have peace. Yeah, which is the awareness of his presence. That's right. Yeah, he is peace as a person. John, I'm listening to you, and you could, you're, you're going to know why I'm chuckling in an instant. <laughs> a very dear friend of ours uh, gave this best illustration ever. Dear Juan Carlos Ortiz, who not long ago went fa- to be face-to-face with Jesus. But you'll remember, he said, Jesus functions in our lives like a trapeze. And we were going... <laughs> What? What? And he goes, a trapeze, a trapeze. And we're going, what? And then finally, we understood what he was saying, a trapeze artist. And then he went on to explain that we are the trapeze artists. But underneath us is that safety net of Jesus. And if he was not there, the trapeze artists would never do all those things they do, let alone attempt them. They only attempted them and learned they could do them because if they fell, there was the safety net. And that's the way it is for us. Jesus is our safety net. And so we can step out, we can attempt, we can try these radical things knowing uh, that he's always going to be our safety net. Wonderful. Amen. What a great thing. And he says, uh, I have overcome the world. So no matter what the enemy is screaming to you, and trust me, he will scream to you, especially when you're stepping out in faith in any circumstance, but uh, the context of our conversation today is with the shattered relationships. He's going to tell you this will never work. You're an idiot. You're going to get abused again, and the list goes on and on. Jesus says, take courage. That's a bunch of hogwash. I've overcome the world. There is nothing that can happen to you that I'm already not preparing to reveal myself to you in those circumstances. And so you can have peace in the midst of tribulation. Wow. Mm. You know, and and I'm thinking of this, Frank, and my mind goes to Philippians chapter four. His peace guards our hearts. It's, it's not just a passive thing that covers us like, like a goo or like an ooze. He guards our hearts. And the mm. picture there is like a sentinel mm-hmm. that doesn't let anything in that's not supposed to be in. Think of a, a sentinel guard around a military camp. Nothing gets in that isn't supposed to be there. So what an incredible encouragement that I'm secure that if something does get in, that my father has part of the hedge and he's allowed it. He's let that sentinel step aside so that it can come in and father still can minister his peace to me and teach me more about himself. Uh, What a great, it gives me great courage just thinking about it, Frank. Mm, The security produces courage. The courage produces a freedom And the freedom is not to do whatever we want, but the freedom to function according to our true design, the freedom to be who we were created to be. And we're agents of his love. We're ambassadors of his kingdom. We're lovers uh, that are here on this planet. We're his light. We're his salt. Uh, We can step in to even the difficult circumstances of life with a confidence 
like we always close, John, Jesus is our anchor. He's our hope. He's our confidence. That's right. And you know, Frank, listen to you talk. My mind runs to the prophet Daniel, but not when he was a prophet, back when he was a little guy. And uh, you remember the story, Daniel chapter one, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's forces show up in Jerusalem. They take, a, they sack the city, they take a bunch of treasure, and they take the princes of Israel, one of whom was Daniel. And, you know, his whole life, this young man's whole life was turned upside down. City captured, Frank, it's, I, I looked at the map, it's 1,700 miles from Jerusalem wow. to Babylon. So just think about what the enemy was pouring into his mind for 1,700 miles. And by the time everyone got to Babylon, there were only four princes of Israel who had the courage, and I say that carefully, who had the courage to ask for a small concession when it came to their food. Probably every other one had given up, said, ah, I'm a Babylonian now. I better just hang up my Jewish roots. But those four who faced that nightmare still trusted their father in a little bit. He jumped into the pool of faith. He mustered up his courage. And, you know, Frank, as I, as I read through those verses, God responded to that little tiny step of faith with an incredible series of miracles. Uh, he let them thrive on this crazy vegetarian diet. He made them super smart, so they learned all things Babylonian 10 times better than anybody else. Hmm. And then when it came to interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, part of the same blessing God gave them, he spared the lives of him and all the people taken captive from Israel and all the other wise men in Babylon. All because he stepped out in a little bit of faith, a little bit of courage, and trusted his father in the face of an absolute nightmare. My goodness, I look at Daniel and say, wow. We tend to think that, uh, you know, he showed up, his courage showed up at the lion's den, but it started so much earlier when he was just a young man daring to trust his father in something small. Wow. Wow. Mm. Yeah, you know, John, I think we could tie that right back into what we talked about last time. There was a seen world and an unseen world. The seen world was a mighty despot of a king, a vicious conquering nation, a defeated people, and you could even say four teenage boys. But the unseen world, there was the lion of Judah, uh, the king of all kings who was with them in covenant relationship. And in that covenant, he said, I will be with you and I will be your God. And, you know, John, I think that's the only way they could have found that courage. If they looked at the seen world, they were gonna be dead in the water. Uh, but they looked at the unseen world and said, this is not the end of the story. Uh, cool. There's a God and I'm in covenant with him and he loves me right. and all that he is, he's going to be to me as I trust him by faith. And, he and they stood. 
Yeah, he hasn't forgotten about me. No. Yeah, things seem like they're falling apart, but he hasn't forgotten about me. Yeah. Friends, uh, we're going to wrap this up now, but I want to turn our attention back to the overall topic of this small series on Philemon. And that is uh, the importance of restoring relationships, how to approach it, how to value relationships the way our father does. And I know that all of us have struggles with our relationships. Sometimes others are at fault. Sometimes we're at fault. Sometimes both of us are at fault. And so I want to wrap this up uh, with the, ask Frank to comment on one of my favorite verses, Psalms 139. And it's this, uh, search me, God, and know my heart. Would you please show me, I'm, I'm ad-libbing now, would mm. you please show me the root behind this failed relationship? What's caused the emotional relationship wreckage where I'm standing in mm. the middle of it right now? Did I play a role? Am mm. I innocent? Would you please search me and show me where I am in this whole nightmare? Try me, uh, the psalmist writes, know my thoughts and if there's any grievous way in me, if I am responsible for this in some way, any way, Father, would you show me? Would you teach me how to fix what I did that led to this? And would you lead me forward in a way that will take me to not only restoration, but beyond restoration, to something more, something greater, something unprecedented? Would you please make that so in my life, sir? I trust you to do that. Wow. Frank, how important is that as we approach failed and even functional relationships? Well, you know, John, it always takes two. <laughs> uh, it's hard to have an argument with yourself unless you need some uh, psychological help. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been doing this 40 years and I've never met an innocent party. Uh, it might be 99-1, <laughs> you know, but we've all played our part. And so Jesus echoed, I think later in Matthew 6, take the log out of your eye so you can see the speck of your brother. Uh, judge correctly. You know, he's not saying don't judge. He's saying judge correctly. Make sure you, you do your part and offer your part I think uh, one of the best gifts we can give in seeking to restore a relationship before we see and point out the wrong in another person is to say, you know, I was wrong here. That disarms people. It says to them, you're not just about making them wrong and you right. You're, you're owning your own stuff that you brought to the table. Galatians 6.1, restore one another in a spirit of meekness, lest you be tempted um, maybe see beyond the anger. There's always a cause for anger. Maybe it's hurt. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's frustration. It's a tangled mess, but we've got the roadmap, and the roadmap is really clear. It's the love of Christ that wants to redeem and restore, and it's a holy love, so we don't just you know, whimsically restore. We hammer out the truth in this thing. Iron sharpening iron, as Isaiah once said, let's reason together. And 
let's arrive at a common ground where we can honor each other, esteem each other, and exalt each other and pursue peace. Huge undertaking, but with God, all oh. things are possible. <laughs> yes, it is. And, and friends, please, please don't pass over these promises in scripture lightly. They can make such a huge difference. I want to close with this, Frank, and then I'll turn it over to you to wrap all this up. I want to tell the story of a friend of mine, and I'm going to change the name. So I'm going to call him Wally. Nobody is named Wally anymore, at least not since <laughs> leaving the Beaver. So I'm going to call him a Wally. Uh, several years ago, we were in a small group, and uh, I was talking about Psalm 139 and why it was just so, so important to me and how I make it almost, uh, it's a regular prayer uh, on my part. And uh, Wally said, nah, I don't think so. At first hearing, he just turned it off because I tell you, it's pretty unnerving to invite the God of the universe in to examine every one of your thoughts. Of course, he knows them anyway. He knows what you think and what you do and why you think you, what you think and why you do. He knows it anyway, but it's pretty unnerving to admit that. And then a few years later, Wally did something different. He had the courage to pray Psalm 139. Hmm. And it's amazing, Frank, what happened. Within a month, he'd been a believer for decades, but he'd never been baptized. Within a month, he stepped up and said, I need to be obedient to my father because I love him. So he got baptized. Hmm. And since he stepped out in obedience, Father has kindled in him an amazing desire to read scripture, to study scripture, uh, to become a teacher of scripture. And none of this was ever evident in Wally's life for the years that I'd known him. But hmm. since he had the courage to pray this prayer, Father took him up on it. Guess what? He'll take you up on it too. And he will show you the path uh, to abundant life. It's true. Wally was saved, but the quality of Wally's abundant life wasn't anywhere near what it is today. And every time I see him, I see more and more of the life of Jesus coming out. So friends, have the courage to invite your father into your shipwreck relationships or any conflicts you have and trust him to show you the path. He will and then listen and follow. Okay, Frank, wrap it all up for us, sir. <laughs> well, how about like this? Not my will, but thine be done. Here I am, send me. You're my Abba, my father, so I can trust your care that you love me and you have good plan for me, but you're also my king. And I'm your subject and you rule this universe with wisdom that I may not see or understand. So I will say, yes, sir. As I seek to receive from you, whatever I'm going to need to play the role of redemption in the lives of other people. Wow. Wow. Okay. Thank you, brother. It's been a real pleasure. And friends, we are just humbled that you have uh, taken the time to join us today 
on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank and I have been wrapping up our conversation on Philemon, which basically is an in-depth study of repairing relationships that leverages off our months of conversations on the one another's, how we can get kingdom living uh, on earth today. Please check out our website, OurResoluteHope.com. I don't know when this will air, but we are in the process of revamping it. So hopefully there'll be a new, revamped, improved website up soon. Check it out. Pop us an email. Sign up for our newsletter. We'd love to hear from you. Check out some of the books we have available on Amazon. You can find them all listed there on our webpage. And of course, follow us on all of our social media platforms. That includes Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And of course, whichever of the podcast homes you follow to listen to our Resolute Hope podcast. And as always, Frank and I wrap up with this same reminder from Hebrews chapter six. We do the same one every episode because it never gets old. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Peter calls it in his first epistle, chapter three, he calls it a living hope. We call it a resolute hope, a steadfast, immovable hope. And that hope is not a rock. That hope is a person, Jesus. So today and always choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.